Thank you for joining us today for TEDCO Talks, a new series featuring thought leaders in economic development from across the state of Maryland. Join TEDCO CEO, Troy Lamel Stovall, in thought-provoking conversations with regional leaders about the future of Maryland's innovation ecosystem. In this episode, Troy is joined by President Freeman Robowski of the University of Maryland, Baltimore County. Listen now to learn more about President Robowski and the role he plays in supporting Maryland and DC's entrepreneurial ecosystem. Greetings, this is Troy Lamel Stovall, the CEO of TEDCO. Welcome to another edition of TEDCO Talks. I, um, you may be wondering why I wear my Alpha gear today. I'll, I'll explain that in a minute. I'm very proud of my Alpha Phi Alpha fraternity. Uh, I, you know, we've had, we've been blessed to have a number of an amazing guests who are in their own right honored and have been, uh, have done great things for the state, for the country and for the planet. Uh, today, I am honored to be able to speak to someone who I've known for years, who has been a mentor, uh, uh, has been, is an author. We'll talk about his books. Uh, here in a minute, uh, but you know he knows he's my fraternity brother. Double up, you know he's we Alpha, we Archons, and so I couldn't be more proud of what he's done. But he has recently announced his retirement, and so there is a a moment to be able to reflect as well uh, about the, the accomplishments and what he's done. And and you know we've had again a lot of honored guests, but I will tell you, Freeman, we haven't had anybody that that was the U.S. News and World Report best leaders and one of the top 100 most influential people in the world in the world, brother. And so I am here to, 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 uh, to have a chance to talk to UMBC uh, president, doctor, and brother of mine, Freeman Habrowski. Freeman, thank you for being on the show today. Troy, I'm honored to be here and looking forward to this conversation. Absolutely. And congratulations to you. Uh, I think the state of Maryland is, I know, very fortunate given your stellar academic and professional credentials. And I love that word map behind you. It speaks to you, but it speaks to Tetco as well, visionary and as a leader in economic development. Absolutely. We, we appreciate that. And, and you know, it's, it's a lot of places we could go. Um, but I think I want to start with a little bit about, you know, what your, your humble beginnings, you know, being Alabama, being an Alabama boy. And, you know, you were just, you know, off, off camera talking about you had just gone to Indiana. So I think that's an interesting juxtaposition of where you where you came from, yes. where you just came from, and then how are they all kind of connected? T tell folks a little bit about, and I'm going to frame it a little bit differently for you, because I know you got a lot of passion, and your journey is an amazing one, but I'd like you to talk about what that journey from Alabama, there's always paths in the road, right? There's always forks in the road that have to be taken, and, and many times that fork sometimes will look left, uh, and everybody says, Freeman, you should have gone left, but you went right. You went right. And, and I want you to talk about why you chose right versus that left. Sure. sure. I, I have thought about this for years, and there's no doubt that the civil rights movement in America had a major impact on all of us, including my family and me. And I was very fortunate, honored to literally march with the children in the Children's March with Dr. King and to spend a week in jail. And that experience taught me that we can all help influence change uh, mm. our situation. Uh, and I was empowered by that experience to think about what leadership means when I was 12 years old. Mm -hmm. uh, and that, that led me to want to work harder, to be my best, and to insist that we, the children, um, be considered by this country first-class citizens. 
And so the notion of empowerment, of working to be the best we could be, and of asking our country to give us that respect. Those were all things that came out of that experience in Alabama and my faith and the emphasis on excellence, on excellence. All of those things shaped who I am today. Absolutely. And so let's have a little fun. So back to Alabama. I love our listeners tell your, your first your first job, your first paying job right. that you had. Yeah, uh, I, I began getting paid to tutor, to tutor kids mm-hmm. at a very young age. And it was to tutor both math and reading. Uh, my mother was a math teacher, English teacher and a math teacher. And she was constantly experimenting with me to see how you connect word problems with, through math and reading. And that led, and my dad loved the math. So I became a tutor when I was in elementary school. And we so, you had this seed, so you had this seed. I mean, a lot of we'll talk about you and BC. So you had this seed at an early age of, of oh, yeah. giving oh, yeah. back and, oh, and, yeah. and helping those who, who, who didn't have everything that you had. And that education makes the difference. That, yep. and, and that's why I was in Indiana yesterday talking about the fact that Maryland is one of the best educated states in the country yep. and has one of the highest, is actually the highest median income in the country. Yep. So, and, and, and was just opposing that against other states. And it comes, though, from this education at every level, whether we're talking about at the elementary, pre-K level, through grad school, the fact that community colleges, when we focus on education, we produce people who can get good jobs and, quite frankly, who can help create jobs. Both. Outstanding. Outstanding. So back to your first car, your first car. Ha. First car, I was in college and I had worked at uh, I went to college at Hampton in Virginia but I was working in the summers, uh, again, tutoring and then doing some research. But I worked at a company, New Jersey Bell, ah. as a supervisor of telephone repair clerks. <laughs> and um, what I learned that was most important, relationships. You could get people to work harder if you cared about them, give, gave them support. And I was making more money than I ever had imagined. And I was sending it to my parents um, just to, to get some sense of how you save and all those kinds of things. And they surprised me and took the money and bought me a car for the uh, before the beginning of my senior year in college. Look at you. I had been young, too. You should know that. I, I had finished college, high school at 15, and, so, and I finished my math major at 18. So I was 18. They got me that car. I had one more senior year, and it was, it was uh, an Impala, if you know that. Oh, Chevrolet. yeah. You're going back on that one, though. Yeah. But a black and gold, a black black vinyl top and gold. So it was a big deal, big deal, right? <laughs> Love that black and gold. And so, you know, it's it's like like I say, you know, we're both fraternity brothers, but you and I have had such a, you know, we're both for STEM. You've been math and I've been engineering. We both worked at a bell doing the art, what used to be called the R-Box, the regional yeah. bell operating company. Used to yeah. Yeah. So, but many of y'all listen, don't even know what the heck we're talking about. The, the <laughs> baby bells, R-Box, yeah. this company's a long gone. And so that we, we both aging ourselves, but <laughs> won't you spend a minute? I know many of our folks here in Maryland know about UNBC. Right. Many of our listeners may not know about the, okay. the amazing the amazing institution that you've built there these last 30 years at UNBC. Sure, sure. It, it is a, my newest book that my colleagues and I wrote is entitled The Empowered University. We're going we to talk about I got it right here, bro. <laughs> and we start with the idea that it's not about me, it's about us. And we talk about the collective vision, what we've developed. I, I really want to thank the state for helping us build this. It has been, we've been in existence since 1966. 
Uh, it's an unusual place. We have very strong academic programs. It is a research university. Just got another big grant that we're announcing today uh, from NASA for $72 million, working and with a lead, but having delighted to be working with one of our HBCUs, Morgan State, uh, and with Arizona State. But uh, uh, we're very proud of that. And that's from NASA. But the key is that we are the leading producer of students of color, African-Americans who get PhDs in natural sciences and engineering, bachelors from us and other places. Most important though, we focus on particular areas, science, engineering, policy, human services at the doctoral level, strong liberal arts core at the undergrad level, a place for very serious students, um, uh, considered in the top 10 for both quality of undergrad education and teaching and innovation. We're number six in the country innovation as measured by all the presidents in the country. So we're doing things that others are trying to figure out, particularly how do you help more students to succeed in general and how do you help them to succeed in science and engineering? Uh, and so think about us in, in both both things. Well, again, I'm going I'm, to I'm lead, lead the jury like me. I appreciate everything you're saying, but the, it's not just getting student success. It's people of color, women of color. And, and, and yeah. look, I'm an yeah. engineer. You and I both been in this game. Sure trying sure. to get more people of color and women to be successful in, sure. in STEM. And for those who don't know STEM, science, technology, engineering, and math is the STEM. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and you found a way to make that happen. Uh, and you've gone against the odds because the numbers, you, you know the numbers better than I do. Yeah. The numbers still aren't great about right. us being there. But yeah. you've been able to produce a record number of, of folks who go into these disciplines. Talk and, to folks about that. And, and we start with the larger context. We need more students of all races, first of all, doing it, because only about 5% of our degrees are in natural science, bachelors are in natural sciences and engineering, compared to twice that in Europe, yeah. compared to the big numbers in Asia. So to be competitive, we need more Americans of all types, women, people of color, and whites in general to do it. Uh, the situation is exacerbated when looking at people of color because the numbers are much smaller as they are for women in computer science. So we have focused on being what we call um, excellent inclusively in terms of bringing in students of all backgrounds from all over the world and educating them. But our sweet spot has been um, having more women exceeding, excelling in the technology areas in science and minorities, particularly African-Americans, large Asian population here, people from all over the world. That, that's the thing that's amazing. American higher education is so good in the world. It attracts from all over the world. Our state is so good. We attract people from all over the world. And we have large numbers of students who are the first generation after immigration to be here. That, that's significant. Large numbers of our students have parents uh, where one of the parents is from another country. Uh, and the other parent, for example, is in the military because the Baltimore Washington Carter has a, is a place where a lot of people retire after the military or come here for the intelligence community or are involved in the dip diplomatic community. So people don't realize how international we are in this corridor, quite yeah. frankly, and how we have to take advantage of that strength. So UMBC does that. But most important, we focus on grit. We are called the house of grit. The name of our dog, Chesapeake Bay Retriever, is True Grit. And when we beat UVA in 2018, then the whole world. Number 16. Number 16. First time ever being number. Everybody was talking about uh, Retriever. Our Retriever and the fact that it was a Chesapeake Bay Retriever. This is the heart of Maryland, right? And we take great pride of being here in this corridor. And it's a university that the state 
can really be proud of as it's proud of its universities in general, from the University System of Maryland to the independent colleges. I mean, I take great pride in saying Maryland has a rich system of higher education that attracts from all over the world. A lot of places I want to go with, with that comment, but you said something at the beginning of this and you talked about the competition. Because I think sometimes, I've, I've been saying this in some of my talks, uh, Freeman, is that we, we tend to think we're competing against other egos like California and Massachusetts. Right. Right. I think we're we need to compare ourselves to them, but the competition, yep. the competition yep. is China. The competition yep. is yep. Europe. Yep. Uh, and if Africa ever wakes up, it's going to be Africa when yeah. Africa wakes yeah. up. Sure. And, Sure. So I, I want to see how you felt about that, that kind of a statement. Sure. I, I think it's really important for us to work as collaboratively with other countries as we can. But we have to remember we've got to protect our country. Yep. We are one of the leading producers of talent for the National Security Agency. We have over about 1,200 of our graduates are there in cyber and math and STEM areas. Uh, and, and the key is that uh, we have found it really important to think about producing best in class talent for the world, for the world. Because when you think about our national agencies, whether it is about defense or it's about healthcare, the only way we can solve the problems of humankind is to be the very best. Amen. I think you know that it's our graduate who produced the technology. It was in the Washington Post yesterday, led that team along with Dr. Graham, Dr. Kismikia Corbett, to produce the technology for the vaccines that we all have in our arms now. And so that gives you a sense of why these areas are so important, not just in protecting from other countries, but in dealing with public health issues of that kind. Very well, important. And, and, that, and that, you know, look, the, the, the census just came out and it's showing this growing population that this is becoming a majority, I mean, minority majority country. And yes. so if we don't have the systems or places like UNBC that are truly dedicated to educating and getting more of them and more of us, yes. more of these communities into these STEM areas, Yes. We are then competitively going to be disadvantaged as those folks come into the world. It's exactly right. It's very important. So uh, over half, almost 60 percent of our students are in those disciplines. The other part that we need to think about, though, is that um, the students in the humanities and social sciences have opportunities now to have connections to STEM. Absolutely. Data, data science is one that people are just learning about, but that's at the intersection of statistics and computing, but it's rooted in social science problems. You see, so psychologists and people in the social and sociology and other areas, public health, are going to be using this for big data. So it's not just that we're producing students who are in those majors, but large numbers of students who are in the humanities, social sciences, the arts and imaging and digital arts and visualization. There are opportunities for people using technology, digital humanities throughout these areas. Amen. And then the final point is because technology is so critical to what we do, we need to have people broadly educated with the ethical considerations. Amen. Because I mean, we're dealing with that now when we talk about who gets the vaccination, you see, what zip codes are not being vaccinated, how do we build trust among those people? So, so it's important to keep the STEM in mind, the STEM focus, in conjunction with what we do to broadly educate people, humanity, social sciences. We don't just want techie techies. We want big thinkers and critical thinking human beings who can say, how can I use this technology to solve the economic problems, the health problems, the educational problems of our society? Well, bro, we can spin on down this because I'm passionate about this too. And it's not, not just the healthcare part of it, but yes. you know, we're, we're facing it right now with Facebook. You know, what's the, yeah. what's the, what's the definition of privacy, Versus, you know, yeah. 
having abilities to get stuff done for me? Yep. And where's yep. the line and sure. what role technology play in, sure. in providing me services versus versus the privacy that I should have as, as yeah. well and freedom yeah. I should have as well? Absolutely. So critical thinking skills, especially because our young people and all of us are faced with so many options every day. When I was growing up in Birmingham, there were three TV stations. <laughs> All right. There were two regular stations, and then there was the educational TV that your parents wanted you to watch and you didn't want to watch. So that was it. Now look at what our young people and all of us have as options. Um, and, and, and the challenge is how do you learn how to look at the big data, all these options, make some sense of them, draw some conclusions about themes, impact, and, and get beyond thinking either or. We Amen. tend to think in our society about you take away what's this TV station for news or that one. And the question is, how do we begin to use our critical thinking as we think about business decisions, social decisions to get to that common ground where we can okay. learn in the process? Right now, we're going through it with COVID. We know that the healthier people are, the more they can go out and buy things, the more they can be in their companies. So it's how you connect the two. It's not one thing or the okay. other. I love it, brother. And, and for y'all listening, like my kids in particular, it wasn't just that you had three channels. It was three channels over an antenna, which you had to go <laughs> stand up next to with some yeah. oil. And, yeah. and if you move too much. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and you might want to add on until and for the first part of my childhood, it was all in black and white. It was all in black and white. <laughs> yeah, come. You know, so y'all, y'all complaining. Let me be clear on the children we, we grew up with. <laughs> so, so you you mentioned, you know, and I said that you're an author. So I, I want to again, you know, I you know I love bragging on you. So you you've been the author of a number of books: Beating the Odds, Raising Academically Successful African American Males, published in '98; Overcoming the Odds, Raising Academically Successful African American Young Women, that was in 2001. Holding Fast to Dreams, Empowering Youth from Civil Rights Crusade to STEM, that was in 15. And the one you mentioned, the Empowered University, Shared Leadership, Culture Change, and Academic Success, which you've been kind enough uh, to, to sign for me, and I appreciate that. I want to spend a minute, if I can. I actually, I'm actually intrigued by the, the subtitle here before I go into some quotes, because you talked about the, the, the we of this, and, and leadership is about yeah. the we and not the you or the I, yeah. and I couldn't, couldn't agree more. Yeah. But what I'm intrigued is, is many of some people may or may not know I've been in higher ed at a number of institutions. And, and, and the way I read your subtitle, Freeman, it says is shared leadership, cultural change and academic success. And I'm reading purposely in that order. Yeah. Is that how you meant it to be? Yeah, absolutely. That it's not about me. It's about us. I know that our governor would say this. The head of the University of Maryland would say this. All of us say this, the, the heads of the different agencies, that we've got to have all of us in there on the same page, focused on moving in the same direction. And it doesn't happen with one person. And if one person gets ahead of everybody else, that person's there alone, as that proverb says, as opposed to having people buying into it. And I want to thank Ted Cole. You didn't expect me to do this for years, decades of supporting UMBC, University System of Maryland and higher education. We would not have our research park with 120 plus companies, with women CEOs, minority CEOs, people from all kinds of backgrounds, if it were not for the investment you made in infrastructure years ago. And that Maryland Innovation Initiative has made such a, a difference. We have over 20 some companies started because of that. And that's over $6 million 
You know, yeah. so, I mean, we shouldn't take those things for granted. And I know you didn't expect me to say that, but I, I have to say that because you are part of the leadership in the state in creating an ecosystem that supports starting companies, creating jobs, filling those jobs, building the infrastructure. And we are, we are like the poster child for that, a young campus that 30 years ago, people would have said, there's no way they'll have companies right there on the campus, biotech and cyber companies. But you all believed in us and worked with others to get us to this point. And now people take it for granted. But I remember when we were going through protests with people not wanting companies in this area. You know, now uh, we work very closely with our neighbors and others, and they're wonderful, but they see the advantage of continuing to create new companies. And probably the most important thing I can say about culture change, about the university or about the state of Maryland or general society is that it's what, it's what Eric Weiner calls, it's culture is the sea we swim in, mm. so all-consuming that we don't even recognize it until we step out of it and look back at it. And mm. that's what we are challenging people to do, not just in universities, but in a state like Maryland, to be empowered to step out of ourselves and look back. Where are we? That's what beautiful. progress have we made? How much more do we need to make? And how do we get there? And that's that's the book, but it's the point I'm making about the fact we've made a lot of progress. We have more companies now, more people employed, and we want to take it to the next level. We want to use all the national agencies in this area. We want to build the university so they're thinking not just about the basic research, which is important, but tech commercialization. We want to make sure the infrastructure in those institutions is such that they can encourage faculty to do more in creating these companies. And then we want to highlight success. Amen. Very important to highlight success. It's because of TEDCO and all that infrastructure that companies like uh, Fearless Solutions, Zarasa, Delilah Zarasa, wonderful, was in there, comes through UMBC, gets a degree in engineering, starts this company on our campus, now one of the biggest in Baltimore with hundreds of millions of dollars. It's unbelievable. And we need just more examples just like that. No, no, he's an, you're right. He's an outstanding example. And, yeah. and, and, and just to pay the compliment, hey, thank you for the compliment. But, uh, you know, I think the, what the, what UNBC and the success of UNB shows that to be frank, you don't have to be the biggest in order to be successful. Right. You know, right. you know, look, you know, for those that don't know this Maryland innovation initiative that, that Dr. Brassi is talking about is with the five research institutions here in Maryland. Um, and just to be blunt, there, there are a couple of others that are blue, that are much bigger than UNBC is. Um, but UNBC steps into the ring, if you will, with them and competes very successfully against some of these very major institutions that are here in Maryland and does so very well. And I had the honor to visit uh, his campus uh, about a month or so ago and just some of the technology that is there uh, that I got the chance to see. And it's not just technology, but the people. I got a chance to meet some great people uh, who represent the globe, as he talked about. Uh, and I just walked away with even more impression, impressive, being more impressive of what you guys are doing there at UNBC. You know, and I, I want to give a, a shout out to all of my colleagues, the presidents of the other campuses, whether it's Daryl at College Park, Bruce at UNB, Ron at Hopkins, David at, at Morgan, for example. Let me just say, we now have grants with all these institutions uh, from national agencies working to not only build the research, but build the workforce in the STEM areas. And so I think, and it was um, the, the late Jim Brady, uh, who recently died, who was saying, do you get it? You got to work together. Yeah. And if you if you talk to our folks now and our, these colleagues at the public and private institutions and in our system, you'll see much more collaboration than ever before. And then I give the governor credit. You know, his initiative with us in computing, 
Maryland Initiative in Innovative Computing, another great example of working with state agencies to make a difference in how we go about reaching certain goals. And it's the building of synergy. This is what the culture has to be. It's not a matter of everybody keeping to themselves and what they do. It's what NSA says now about the need to share, not yep. just the need to know, a need to share. And that's it's been the sharing which has had our faculty from these different campuses of all types working together to make a difference. Well, you know, that's that's interesting you say that because I, I, I pulled a number of quotes. I won't go through all of that. I pulled from you again. This is from the Empowered University, and this is in uh, chapter three. And, and the title of chapter three for our for our audience, and again, I would encourage you all, if you don't have the book, to get it, that the title is Culture Change is Hard as Hell. And that's, yes. that's the title of, of chapter three. And, and, and Dr. Brodsky is describing uh, an audience he had with a number of other university presidents. And, and now I'm about to quote. He says, let me start, and this is him talking, let me start by saying something every president in the room will appreciate. I have been serving as president for more than 20 years, and there's one undeniable truth is that changing the culture of institution is hard as hell. It just is. The audience erupted with laughter and applause. And I'm skipping down. Um, my task on this panel was not to give the presidents an out, but rather the opposite. My job was to pull them into the work of implementing change and encouraging innovation. Yes. The job we have as presidents is to convince people that the world of tomorrow can be better than the world of today. However uncomfortable they may feel at present and however comfortable they feel about change, it's our, our obligation to address the evolving role of our institution society and helps. What, what I'm what I'm impressed by that statement, and I love it, and obviously like your comment, is that, you know, again, I've been at a number of institutions, you know, at the different levels. And, you know, to me, the job of an institution is to prepare that student for tomorrow is to, yeah. is to give them the gifts, uh, the grit uh, yeah. and, and, and the motivation to explore the possibilities of the possibilities. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and but too many times and what you're talking about is as institutions, we grind it to ourselves that we get caught in our day to day and we right. forget about not just that mission, but the notion of the innovation that we're supposed to be imparting into our yeah. students. Yeah, it's an excellent point. And you know, you're innovative in the sense that you want to come across, even with the cap and everything, as the everyday person. People don't know that you are an alum of Southern Methodist University and Harvard and Stanford. You play that down. I don't because I know how unusual it was for a young Black boy to be at Southern Methodist University and get a degree in engineering and then a master's and then an MBA. So I'm proud of you. I just, I to, I just put it out there and let people know he is from the height of academic credentials. So I start there. But you have smart enough, wise enough not to want to come across as either pretentious or coming out of New England and California. You are here in Maryland making a difference. I start there. Now, here's what I would say. First of all, when you were reading that, I was thinking, that sounds really good. And then I realized <laughs> what I said. <laughs> People always think what they said sounds good. But the, the fact is that we do weed out so many students in STEM. I chaired the National Academies Committee on underrepresentation. And people would be shocked to know that two thirds of all Americans of all races who start with a major in science and engineering, leave it within leave the it. first year or two. In fact, we call the first year of science weed out courses. I mean, yeah. that's across the nation. And yeah. so of all races, and so the issue is that we need more people competitively trained in these disciplines. And now here's the point. We have found ways of not just through the Meyerhoff program, but through other initiatives on this campus, the Center for Women in IT, to help nurture students. So if they want to major in computer science, 
or in computer engineering or in biochemistry, we can help them to do that. And the point we make, I make in my TED talk is that it's about high expectations, yeah. but it's not just the high expectations of the students. It's high expectations of us. Yeah. What is it we do? If I put a math, I'm a mathematician. I get goosebumps doing math uh, very seriously, whether I'm working with third grade kids or working with grad students. But here's the point. If I put a problem on the board from differential equations yeah. and I finish it and I'm eloquent and everybody says, wow, he's really smart. And then I give you a test, give the group a test on it. And nobody passes the test. Have I taught that concept? We tend to think if you put it on the board and you give a test, they don't get it. I taught it. They didn't learn it. No, you only can confirm that you taught it if people have grasped the concept. Mm -hmm. And we spend and more and more campuses are doing this. But we spend a lot of time through collaboration, through group work, through use of technology, through a lot of feedback in our chemistry discovery center in digital humanities, working to innovate in the use of technology in the teaching and learning process. That's changing the culture. And it's not the old fashioned way of thinking is if most people don't make it, it must be a really good university. They're so hard, nobody can make it. That's not, no. The, the, the newer way of thinking is, yes, there is there are very high standards of rigor in the work, but also high standards for giving support to people so they can make it. And the same thing is true when thinking about entrepreneurship. We've had big grants from Kellogg and other places, in uh, not Kellogg, but, but from others all the way out on the, on the West Coast in entrepreneurship. Uh, and what's interesting is that most of the time we have been working to ensure that people know failure is not the worst thing. Amen. It's not Amen. trying, as Benjamin May said. It's not having high aim, right? That resilience and grit. You try it. If it doesn't work, you learn from that and you get back up. That's the change in culture that we've worked on on our campus. And we would hope that others would do the same thing. Boy, you just, you just, we didn't even touch. So, so uh, we, we, I know we're going to run out of time, but I'm, I'm chapter nine. Yeah. It's, it's a challenge of quality. And just before I read this, you know, I think too many times people think teaching and learning are the same thing. Right. But the right. point being, is there's different ways to teach and there's yeah. different ways to learn. And I look at my yeah. two kids, they yeah. learn fundamentally yeah. differently. But yeah. we make the assumption there's only one way to learn. So there's only one way to teach. And right. Right. That's yeah. where the disconnect happens right. in right. too many of our academic institutions. That's exactly right. And if you look at our pivot program, as we've had to deal with and address online learning, it's not just getting up and lecturing to people. Yep. We have spent a lot of time on professional development to, to look at different ways of engaging the students, as we are doing right now, of their working with each other, for example, of giving them more feedback all the time. This is the period when we should be learning from the challenges of the last two years of COVID Amen. and not go back to things just as they were. Because as they were, two-thirds of Americans were getting pushed out of science and engineering. Bro, I say all the time, if we go back to, if we keep talking about going back to, to normal, I say, right. let's be clear, as a Black man in America, I don't want to go back to that. If that's normal, I don't want yeah, to yeah. go back to that. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's so much not that was not right. And if we sure. can't understand that there is a new way to do things, yes. whether it's in education or economics or entrepreneurship, then yeah. we have missed the last two years. But a little real quick here. So this is uh, chapter nine. It's a, a challenge of quality. And uh, you're talking about the uh, commission that was uh, the American Academy of Science was doing a commission on the future yeah. of undergraduate education. So, quote, yeah. The commission focused on the central fact that, quote, only 60 percent of students who begin a bachelor's degree actually complete one. 
yeah. and challenged us to do much better. The other 40% often end up with no degree, yet accumulate significant debt that they are then hard pressed to repay without the benefit of a college degree. These outcomes are unacceptable. The, the analogy I, I use, Freeman, is if, if there was an airline that that airline left uh, DC with 100 passengers and flew directly to New York, didn't stop anywhere, but only 60 people got off that plane. Yeah, yeah. What yeah. happened to the other 40? It's a great, it's a and, great metaphor. It's a and, great. And, and by the way, on that plane, everybody paid a different price. Yeah. On that yeah. The question yeah. is, you ever fly the airline again? <laughs> that is higher ed. Higher ed is that airline. And the challenge is that, and it, as a mathematician, that 60%, and it's 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 high 50s or whatever, mm -hmm. is not reflective of the real deal. The real deal is if you are very wealthy and you go to a very wealthy institution. The graduation rate is going to be 95% and more. Yep. All right. If you are not in that category, okay, then the less money you have, yep. the fact is uh, the lower the graduation rate will be. So for the majority of middle class and working class Americans, the graduation rate is well below 40%. So, And I, and I want people to hear what you said because you didn't say black. You didn't no, say that's white. Every race. Exactly. You every this, race. And I think too many times we allow this to become right. a racial conversation. It's not, no, it's more a social economic no. conversation. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, the fact is that there are there's a greater proportion of people of color who are poor, but the largest number of poor people and low-income people are white, right? right. We've got to be concerned about them. And what I'm saying is you go to some parts of the country and the university may be completely almost totally white, and the graduation rate is below 35%. There you go. And that's a six year graduation rate for publics. OK, so, no, we can do a much better job just as we have to work on pre-K through 12. And we're doing a lot to work on pre-K through 12. Look at our Lakeland Elementary Consortium of Schools with the Sherman Scholars Program, which yeah. is really focused on preparing more teachers of all races who will work in challenging schools to help kids with mathematics and reading, particularly middle school, but pre-K through middle school levels. Another example. Bro, we could go on and on and on. I know we could. We, we do not, because uh, whenever I just have my one-on-ones, I learn a lot. Um, you obviously announced recently you're going to be stepping down and reti yes. retiring from UNBC. I think, well, I won't be clear. You're retiring from UNBC, but you ain't retiring from life and doing That's exactly right. Back. So <laughs> we'll tell little folks a little bit about what you plan on doing. Sure. I already teach some at Harvard with new presidents and provosts and others have been doing that for years. They have case studies on UNBC that they that they use with leaders, public and private universities. But I've been invited to do more of that. I will do more of that. Uh, but I'm also working with boards and leadership teams at other institutions using this book and the new one that we're writing right now, but public and private from Wellesley and wonderful Paula Johnson, who's a mentee, president of Wellesley, to just spending time with Penn State as an example, to uh, being very proud and knowing they're using the book down at Clemson, UMBC's alumnus, Jim Clements, all yeah. three degrees from UMBC, one from Hopkins, but three from UMBC um, at, at Clemson University, but, but and then to institutions in Atlanta, working with Spelman and Morehouse and others. So all types of universities, I'll be spending my time giving support to leaders and working to build America in different ways and spreading the good news about Maryland Absolutely. and about UMBC. <laughs> if, if folks hadn't caught uh, the element, one of the key elements that Freeman brings to, to leadership is, um, uh, and uh, people call it coaching, but I, I call it, because uh, because both both of us are faith, it's pouring. It's pouring his cup 
into somebody else's cup. <laughs> um, and, and you've built trees and branches and you've helped grow other trees and branches of other trees. Cause I know someone poured into you and helped build your sure. tree. So, sure. if, 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 um, and you, and I'm one of those branches off of, off of your tree. And so, and so thank you for continuing to grow branches uh, off of your tree, brother. And, and thank Tedco and our state for continuing to nurture the plants, the people in this street makes a big difference. We're on our way. We are seen as one of the leaders and it's because of, of institutions like Tedco. Thank you very much, Troy. Very I appreciate much. you. And again, I appreciate you, my brother. So again, thank you for your time today. Thank you for your service to the state and thank you for being who, who you are. So to our listeners, I hope you got some ideas. Again, check out the book, The Empowered University. Uh, please do. And uh, again, Freeman, thank you for your time today and for your service. For all of you listening, we continue to get great feedback uh, on Technical Talks. Thank you for listening. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for providing us feedback. And uh, again, this is Troy Lamel Stovall, CEO of Techno. We'll see you next time. Everybody be safe. Thank you. Keep hope alive. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks again for listening. And a special thank you to our guest, President Robowski, for joining in today's discussion. For more information on Techco and its activities, check us out at www.tedcomd.com. If you enjoyed today's discussion, consider sharing and subscribing to Techco Talks.